Hey guys, this week's episode is brought to you by the official wallet of the Litecoin Underground. Cake Wallet is a non-custodial free wallet for Litecoin, Bitcoin, and Monero. The other part about this that's really cool is you can buy Litecoin inside the wallet. You can convert or exchange between Litecoin, Bitcoin, Monero, and some other cryptocurrencies without signing up for an account, without any limits. Go to CakeWallet.com or the App Store and get it today. You know they've been on the show They support the show. They love Litecoin. Support them. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Litecoin Underground Podcast. So this week I just took a recording. I did an uh, interview on YouTube with Seth for Privacy. And yes, so so sue me, I don't ever remember people's names. I just know he's at Seth for Privacy, all spelled out. Um, he is the host of the Opt Out Podcast, which is really focused on privacy issues regarding all sorts of different technologies. And we talked a little bit about cryptocurrencies but really i just wanted to kind of get like a maybe a privacy starter pack what are the real concerns we should have when we're i don't know using all these new technologies all these things with our phones or alexa or facebook or your online your email all these different things and really what are maybe the biggest i guess leaks we have of privacy and what are some things we should be focused on i'm gonna apologize again this week for the audio for whatever reason Seth seems to be a fairly quiet guy, and his audio came across very quiet, and mine didn't. I'm not a super quiet person, so there's a kind of a swing. I'm I'm fairly loud, and he's fairly quiet, so I didn't have a good way of fixing this after the interview. Um, I'll try to get better with it, but I hope it's not too much of a problem. So either way, thank you for listening every week. I appreciate the support, guys. Have a good one, and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of what I'm currently calling the Litecoin Underground video podcast. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I guess the video series. Uh, This is our fourth episode. Uh, We got Seth for privacy in today. He's even got his mic muted because he doesn't want anybody to hear what he has to say. Super private. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, super private. Um, As you guys know, our sponsor of the Underground is Cake Wallet, the official wallet of the Litecoin Underground. You must be a big fan of Cake Wallet right off the bat, right, Seth? I am, yeah. Yeah, I know the guys behind it, and obviously they've been a, a huge part of the Monero community for a long time. Um, the first iOS wallet, and uh, they've done a, a ton to help support people in the Monero community, projects in the Monero community, and um, yeah, they've been a big part of that. So, big fan yeah, of been... both the tool itself and the people behind it. Yeah, they've been the same way with us. So, anyway, go go to Cake Wallet, check it out, download the app and everything. Um, and actually, well, it kind of, you know, right before we came on the air, I was talking to... Seth, and you know, he mentioned his 
his journey. We're going to get into some privacy stuff. I want to kind of go not be full crypto all, all the way, but kind of start out kind of where it correlates to crypto. And Seth started out as a, it, were you a Monero person right off the bat? No. So I kind of did the, I think a different journey than most people. Um, I started out kind of messing around with whatever, just got into the space to try to make money. Um, had no interest in the technology, you know, interested in it as a tool for freedom, nothing like that. That's the normal path. I hope you know uh, that. No, <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. That's the normal path. I know. Yeah. Almost nobody gets in for anything altruistic. Um, <laughs> if, if we're honest, I think most people come in for the speculative value, but um, started out that way and then became really a pretty hardcore Bitcoin maximalist, listening to all the Bitcoin maxi podcasts and kind of gave up everything else when I realized that the majority of the stuff in the space was a scam um, or disingenuous or just a bad idea lots of different stuff um short-lived mostly right yeah yeah for yeah. sure for sure most stuff doesn't last long or does despite not doing anything um but i think once i realized what bitcoin could do but then started to see a few of the flaws um i had gotten into monero mining just again to make money i had no interest in the privacy or anything like that mm -hmm. i'd gotten into mining it just because uh i work in nit or have um i i love kind of the technical side of things as a hobby and thought that building a GPU mining rig would be fun back in the day. Um, so spun that up and got into Monero that way. And the community around Monero really kind of showed me the importance of, of privacy, both on the blockchain cryptocurrency side, obviously in Monero, privacy is a, a key focus and a, a default um, aspect of Monero, but then also talking more about personal privacy and about how Financial privacy alone is very important, but it's not a holistic thing. You're going to have problems if you're not thinking about your personal privacy in other areas, um, especially if you're doing things that people don't want you to do, um, whether those are illegal or legal or political dissidents or whatever it is. Um, but you, you need to think more broadly about personal privacy. So that kind of got me into the privacy side of things and the Monero side <clears throat> of things at the same time, but um, kind of went altcoiner maximalist and then back to focusing on Monero and I, I kind of realized <laughs> that it, it fixed the issues that I had with Bitcoin and with its technical technical approach. Yeah, I never I never got bitten by the maximalism bug. Like I never I get maybe that's just ne that's maybe never been my nature to just be like uh all in and not not being open to talking to people about stuff. I've always felt like that's so maybe you weren't a toxic maximalist. You were just no, a maximalist. Yeah. yeah, I mean, not not in the sense of like I was just projecting any other kind of discussion points or anything like that, but just in yeah. the idea of like Bitcoin is the only thing that matters. So that's the thing that I'll focus on. But I think I, when I got past the kind of speculative digital gold narrative and into like what can this stuff actually be used for and yeah. started caring about transactions and started caring about really what can enable freedom and not what can make me the most money or what has the best chance of rocketing to the moon like that kind of thing um i start to take a more nuanced view of the space <clears> and <throat> really try to investigate things from a more neutral perspective and just just see what made sense and obviously ended up mostly focusing on monero but um i've, I've touched on a lot of different cryptocurrencies and technologies throughout the the years yeah like i, I always felt like i think once you recognize hey this was a <clears throat> an invention of a tool and that tool is to, you know, secure your own money and transfer value from one person to another. You start going, well, there's other tools that also do that. And what are the features that each of them have? And, you know, the trade-offs that you might get 
from one versus the other. But I'd be, you know, kind of making a mistake if I didn't bring up Mimble Wimble tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. What time is it right now? It's, it's nine o'clock tonight, uh, Eastern time. But it, I think it's going to be at about one thirty in the morning. A very convenient time for me. <laughs> uh, Mimble Wimble on Litecoin is going to become usable right now it's it's the miners have signaled it and everything and so we're going to do kind of a launch a launch live stream here in a few hours after after i get done with you and um not you you aren't gonna be there with charlie and them but uh yeah i mean have you have you dug into that at all have you tried to understand what mweb does and if you haven't don't feel bad i haven't (laughs) dug much into Mimblewimble extension blocks specifically Um, okay so when grin came out and Mimblewimble started becoming more of a a talking point in the space. I did a lot of research into Mimblewimble itself um, and into the things that can be done with it. So I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of what Mimblewimble does. Obviously, with Mimblewimble extension blocks, it's not something I'm super familiar with, but I know it's an, an optional. You can opt into using these extension blocks to gain better privacy through the both the ephemerality of Mimblewimble, which is where your transactions are combined with others. Um, so you, you gain some privacy except from those people running nodes and then also obviously amounts are hidden in Mimblewimble so that's another big advantage that it it can have Um, but it has some really cool scaling properties along with some good privacy properties as well Um, so I'm I'm curious I mean the the biggest thing for me with Litecoin's approach is that it is optional so I'm very curious to see what kind of uptake you'll have I know I understand there's the big there's the Zcash Monero base layer optional privacy war that will forever be fun. I understand all that. And uh, yeah, you know, and I understand, I think, I think more than anything to me, I feel like the, the fungibility part of it is really what, what the primary achievement will be out of this. Um, if it's used enough, right. If it's used in, in large enough volumes or even a large, you know, 25% of transactions are there on a regular basis, that would be certainly enough to start, it becomes this massive kind of coin join at some point in time. Um, So it is important when you're talking about fungibility, it's important to remember that something like this that is optional is not going to bring fungibility to all of Litecoin. It'll essentially segment Litecoin into two pools where you'll have the the normal pool of funds, which will be non-fungible like Bitcoin. And then you'll have those funds, which are within Mimblewibble extension blocks. And those coins will theoretically be fungible with each other. But you'll essentially have fungibility pools, two of them, one that's really not fungible and one that's mostly fungible with each other. Um, I, yeah, so there I, is some I, nuance there that it, that is the the big thing that comes with optional versus default is you can't what? really gain network-wide fungibility unless you make it the default for every transaction. Okay. I You know, I, I, we could sit there and we could probably discuss this all day because, <laughs> I, I mean, my personal opinion is that eventually, essentially, if at some point you can break the chain with the previous transactions right and most and coins are moving in and out of there at a large enough velocity there's enough transaction volume that on litecoin that hopefully that would happen but you know that i guess it remains to be seen right so we'll see how that plays I'm, out I'm probably the person in the world who said the word fungibility the most so um i'm, I'm definitely i i understand if that's a, a boring topic or one people don't want to dive in well i don't i mean i you know i want to i want to talk to you about other stuff because i i think fungibility is a Frankly, I think the word is almost intentionally boring. It's like sometimes these financial terms, it's like they they sound, they're purposely 
confusing to just make people go, I don't, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> so you end up, you just can't get people's attention with talking, saying fungibility. They're like, all right, you lost, you lost me at fungibility. I think the only good play on the word is I have a t-shirt from, uh, from Tari who actually are using Mimblewimble in their, their network. Um, and they made a shirt that says Monero puts the fun in fungibility. Yeah. It's probably the only yeah. good twist I've seen on the word. Hilarious. I did. I posted that the other day as a joke and, I mean, it's a pretty obvious one, but uh, well, anyway, I mean, and maybe we'll find out. I think tonight I'm excited about, you know, sending some coins via MWeb. And um, in reality, you know, the, the other part, like you mentioned, is the extension block part, which I think is an interesting thought because I, I just put something up today. What how many different types of extension blocks can you have? How difficult is this to do to do? And like you mentioned, with capacity uh, by trimming so much information out. It'll be it'll be an interesting an interesting move, and I think it's a huge upgrade and a huge directional change for Litecoin to really separate itself from being the just clone of Bitcoin. You know, so do you know if it'll be cheaper to transact in the Mweb? Um, I believe you know Litecoin? we'll find out. It's already incredibly inexpensive for now. Yeah, I'm just curious if there's that incentive. But like I said, I ha I haven't done a ton of deals. Oh, to like so. within Mimblewimble. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know because I, I know it's going to cost a little more to get on MWeb. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I mean, it's going to be negligible, right? Actually, I just sent myself from Cake Wallet because I put some in my core wallet, and my fee was point zero zero six six dollars, so six tenths of a penny. It's it's almost not. There might have been even six hundredths of a penny. That might even make more sense. So yeah, for now, I mean, it's negligible, and um, you know. We're, we're all optimistic about it because, again, I, I look at the experience of using using Bitcoin and understanding what you're sharing with the people around you um, and, you know, your coworkers or your your boss can see where you're spending your money. All these people can see everything. Like once you recognize, like, wow, it's all out there, it does get very, it's kind of creepy. It's the opposite of privacy, that's for sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Well, anyway. Uh, so but to talk about privacy, because I, I would like to get, d dive into this a little bit, because this isn't a, a topic that comes up because I do I do get a lot of in our Twitter spaces. We're not just all Litecoiners. I get a lot of Monero people. And I think I, I became aware of you because of a lot of Monero people and like Cake Wallet, Justin's been in. And so mm -hmm. they've kind of it's something that, again, I think it's a passion. People, they start to understand it and they have to take those baby first steps. And so maybe for my audience the baby first steps are going to be uh what are the basics right now i was asking before we got on you said you might reference this this uh email or whatever you sent me but are there kind of like levels of privacy because i i when i think of privacy i think you know having if i could put a firewall around my house so to speak so that or or maybe better better way to put it that um i can optionally choose to share what i want to share or that I'm aware of what I'm sharing and that maybe bad actors can't utilize my information against me without my permission type of thing. And so maybe I'm blending a lot of different things, but it, is there kind of a first level, like how to best protect yourself or like best practices to avoid blatant, just giving your bad, giving information away to bad people? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it boils down to, 
kind of that idea of like what do you want to protect that you touched on and um the term that's often used in deciding that or kind of building a model around that is called uh, building a threat model or threat modeling okay um and it's essentially this just simple idea of what do you want to protect who do you want to protect it from and then what lengths you're willing to go to protect it um and so doing something like that and, and it can be a, a pretty simple exercise or you can go really in depth with it but having that idea in mind of what you want to protect, who you want to protect it from, and what lengths you're willing to go to protect it will help you decide kind of what steps are worth it to you um, to to kind of improve your personal privacy. And, and you hit on really what privacy is and, and how you were just kind of mentioning this and, and that it's the ability to selectively reveal yourself to the world. Um, so it's not necessarily anonymity. Um, it often gets paired with that, but it's not necessarily that you just cease to exist in, in normal society or that you, you're somebody that no one knows who you are, uh, maybe even not your, your friends. But yeah, you, I, I told you, I listened back to your first podcast with tech lore and it was, you guys were talking about, you know, that desire to go like to be to ghosts, to ghost the world. Right. You just totally turn off. And I'm, then in my head, I'm thinking, I don't know if you're old enough, know the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, do you remember him? He, he lived like in a, a 10 foot by 10 foot shack in the Montana desert. That's how you end up being completely anonymous, you know? Yeah, that's essentially what you have to do. I mean, most people don't need that and don't want that. I mean, ultimately you're not going to generally want to give up everything to be anonymous and you won't necessarily gain anything by being anonymous, um, depending on what kind of your focus is. And again, like what you want to protect for most people, it's really about having that control again. And we've kind of, we've, slowly merged into this world where we have given up all control over our data um mm -hmm. usually without consent sometimes with our consent but usually if it's with our consent in any way it's behind this massive legalese form that everyone just checks the box and clicks yes yeah. and continues on when they create their account um and we've we've really gotten used to that world but that's i mean that's just not the way it used to be we used to have kind of default privacy when you think about your life. You, If you wanted someone to know something, you had to give them a call on the phone or you had to go see them in person or you had to write them a letter. Um, and almost no one knew anything about you that you didn't want to reveal to them. But that's quickly changed and, and a lot of that has changed because of things like surveillance capitalism where companies have realized that they can make money not only off of you giving them money for a service they provide, but even on a free service, they can collect your data and use it to better sell ads to you, better sell things to you, um, even just sell your data to the highest bidder because information about who we are, what we like, what we don't like, where we live, et cetera, is, is very, <clears throat> very valuable. Um, one of my good friends who's, who goes by the, the name The New Oil goes by that name because data really kind of is the new oil, that it's, a, it's an immensely valuable commodity. Um, and giving up our control over our own data is, is immensely damaging to a lot of aspects of life, um, but taking some initial first steps to just kind of take back the the simple pieces of privacy can really have an, an immense effect. And, and like you mentioned, it's not something where you need to go live in a 10 by 10 shack in the desert, but it can just be these, these small, meaningful, approachable steps towards having better control over that data about who you are, about what you're doing, about what you like, about what you don't like, about who you talk to, about who you, or what you talk with them about um, those kinds of things. So yeah, I, I sent you a list to, or a, a link to a blog post that I wrote a while ago that just kind of gives like, if I were to do it over again, what steps would I take? Um, and in what order, okay. kind of what like I value personally. And it's very much a, a personal list, but I think wonder, it's a- You want me to share that in the chat here? 
Yeah, yeah, go for I it. I'll probably do that. Let me see. Let me, let me make sure I can do this. Hang on. I don't know how to use the internet. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to, it was a link and I was trying to copy copy it and it wouldn't let me. So I, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't actually posted comments in the thread, so I'll see how this works. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, when, again, I, I, you know, I don't know a ton about you, so I'm having to glean everything off of what I've heard in the couple of podcasts I listened to. Uh, but one, one thing that struck me is that, you know, everybody's told me, one of the things I've heard about is always get a password manager, like step mm -hmm. one, easy, uh, easy way to um, boost your privacy and more maybe your security even. But what I think the, the other benefit of that is that it's a convenience help. You know, yeah. like I, I think the one thing that really, I'm, I haven't really di dived, dove, divin, <laughs> dived into the so web sorry. three. <laughs> I haven't really gone into the Web3 stuff too deeply. But one thing that uh, I heard about early on is this idea, you know, I get one, you know, I can have one kind of uh, digital uh, presence that spans across all these different uh, applications. So I don't have to memorize a thousand different passwords and I don't have to have all my logins. You know, I don't remember, was it supposed to be capitalized or do I need an exclamation point? You know, which password did I use? And so... I wonder, you know, for people like if you can increase the convenience of their lives, that that's a very easy way to start looking at privacy and saying, OK, well, I get a benefit out of it because a lot of it does. Like you said, you don't you don't get any financial reward going for going and living in the desert by yourself. Like it just it, it makes your life more difficult. Mm -hmm. So maybe trying to find the simple things that you can do that make the user's life easier. And yeah, yeah. Uh, password managers. uh Stuff like people hate spam phone calls, people hate spam emails, and it seems logical that you know. I'm sure, like you, you did mention some tools in that show, but what are what are some tools that people can look at that'd be first step, baby yeah. steps? Yeah, I mean, uh, a password manager, like you mentioned, is like that's probably the biggest change in your online life that you can bring about, and it definitely does have some privacy benefits. Mainly just that if you're not reusing passwords and email addresses across every service it's harder for someone to be able to just break into your account so you get access to the data in there. So obviously it's not going to protect you from, like, it's not going to protect Google from pu pulling data from the things you do on Google when you're logging in using Password Manager. But it really does help the security angle, which also can help privacy. Um, and it also means that you're less impacted by things like data breaches, which are constantly happening. Um, and if you use unique passwords and maybe even a, an email alias with each site that you use, you're much less affected by those breaches. And it's, it's easier to clean up afterwards. It's, it's less impactful to your other accounts. So that's definitely a big one. Bitwarden specifically is the one that I recommend. Um, it's absolutely fantastic uh, mobile app, desktop app, browser extensions. Um, it's really uh, like if you do nothing else, you should just go start using Bitwarden today. Like it, it is an immensely powerful tool and it's, it's a really nice quality of life improvement. Um, and there are, I mean, to be quite honest, there are not many tools within the privacy and security space that make your life easier, but it is one of those and it, it, it has a real tangible impact there. Um, another one I think that is something that I hadn't even heard of the concept, much less specific tools before I started my podcast. Um, and in that first episode, Henry from TechLore mentioned this tool and it's something called Simple Login. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's an email aliasing tool. So you can essentially create unique aliases per account or website 
Um, and those will all get routed back to your main email address whenever you want to send them to, whether that's a Gmail, hopefully something like a ProtonMail or Tutanota or something. But your emails will all get routed through to your end email, so you still get all of those emails. But not only do you prevent um, those websites or companies from tracking you across them by email address, because if you use the same email address on all your accounts, it's very easy for them to corroborate who you are across those things. So using unique email address helps that, but the thing that is, I think, most impactful is that it helps you um, prevent spam. It helps you to be able to easily disable email aliases that get hacked or, or sold to a, um, some kind of data broker or something like that. Or even things like uh, Trezor had a phishing attack happen recently where their email list got sold um, or got stolen from MailChimp. And so everyone who had a Trezor got an extremely targeted, very well-crafted phishing email. Um, and so the moment I knew, there's a whole story around that phishing thing, but uh, the moment I knew that it was phishing and that, that email list had been had been stolen, I was just able to go into Simple Login, disable that email alias, and no one could use it anymore to send me spam, to try to phish me, anything like that. And so I it, didn't it keeps have to track of like, email. like, so let's say I open a, a Twitter account and I use this tool, it's going to produce a random email mm -hmm. that they all funnel back to my main inbox. Yeah. Yeah. So and, it, like and the, somewhere it's identified as, Hey, this was your Twitter email. So I can go in and go up, oh, disable that one. Yeah. So they have oh. a, a browser extension where just kind of like with a password manager, when you go to log in, it'll give you a little button within the email field and you mm -hmm. just hit that and it generates a unique email for that service. And it also marks what website it was on. Um, and saves all that info so that the next time you go there, it'll know which email address you used. Um, and I like to, it, where one of the options you can set, I can't remember if it's the default now because I think it's changed, but one of the options is that you can have the prefix for each random email address be like the name of the website. So like your Twitter email address will be like twitter.randomcharacters at simplelogin.co. Um, oh. So that makes it also really easy to figure out which one's the right one too. So yeah, it's not totally random, but it gives you a prefix that's easy to recognize for your own use. Um, and that's been one of uh, my absolute favorite tools. I'm kind of curious Simple how many aliases I have now because they. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the other, I, I think you guys had mentioned something about with phones and phones. I mean, like I have a I have a work phone, so like I have to obviously keep my number there. But mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody gets these spam calls all the time. And, and that's probably, that may just be unavoidable. I don't know. They're just calling every number in the book, but um, that'd be another one to be able to just kind of have a particular number. I mean, well, I don't know, maybe that's a whole different topic, but can you get into where, yeah, you, you have a particular number that's used for people, you know, personally, and then you have kind of a public number and they're all accessible through the same device. Like I, I really feel stupid. You're like you're probably like this guy doesn't understand. What he's talking <laughs> no, about. no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, that's an area most people don't even think about, much less have dug into. Um, it's not something <clears throat> I've dug into too much beyond looking into some kind of anonymous SIM providers. Um, one of the ones that I did an interview with on my podcast is called Silent Link, and you can buy a SIM card from an eSIM card from them um, using Bitcoin. Uh, and you get it anonymously, and then you can load that onto whatever device. Normally, like, uh, I use Pixel phones because I can put something like Calyx OS or Graphene OS, which is a privacy-preserving version of Android on there. Um, and Pixel phones have the physical SIM card slot, and they have at least one eSIM slot as well. So I can have the physical SIM card, which is my, like, normal public, my ID is tied to it, unfortunately, 
the, the number that I use for friends and family, all that kind of thing. Um, and then I can have this other separate SIM card that is in no way linked to my ID, no way linked to me, but I could use that for public things. So like right now, I have a public signal account that I use to let people chat with me who want to when I don't want to share my private phone number. And that uses the silent link phone number that I have. Um, okay. There are some other services like that. I know there's another one, an exciting one coming soon that I won't mention who's bringing it forward, but um, there's some, some good services coming there um, as well. But there's definitely advantages to that. And uh, I think most people don't need a long-lasting SIM card, but what they really need is just a an easy-to-use text verification service. Because most of the things you want to use a phone number for are not phone calls. It's normally... I want to verify this account using a phone number, but I don't want it to be my private phone number. Hmm. Signal is a good example of that. Um, it could be Twitter. It could be whatever. So yeah, services like that are really useful. And there's some simple ones like textverified.com is a, a well-known one that, that works well. And I, I think they accept Bitcoin, if I remember correctly, as well. Um, I don't know any that accept Litecoin off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's there's some out there. You could always swap to, to Bitcoin if necessary. No. Not happening. <laughs> Not anymore. I mean, what do you need to? What do you need? Give me the, the reason for it. All right, I, want, I actually had a few things written down because I, I thought this might be kind of interesting just to um, maybe get an understanding. Where, where are you leaking this information? Like, where is, where is most of your information being gathered for your average home? Like, in particular, people always talk about Alexa, right? What is Alexa hearing? She's probably, she's upstairs probably listening to me right now, but. Now um, she knows you're talking bad about her. Yeah, she's sending out the drones. <laughs> so like what, what's the, what is, what do they get? What are they, first of all, what are they allowed legally to do with it? What do they do with the information and the, the, what you're saying? Um, do they keyword? Do they record? Do they what profile you or do we not really know? Um, so with that kind of thing, with like Google Now, um, Alexa, Google Homes, all those kind of like smart devices that are always on and always listening, a lot of it just comes down to trusting what they're telling you. Um, so like Google and Alexa or, or Google and Amazon, who's behind Alexa, obviously, are, if they were doing something where they're recording all the time and collecting that data and using it to profile you, they're not going to tell you that because they don't want you to know that. They want you to think that they care about your privacy. Um, but there have been many examples of Apple, Amazon, and Google all having issues where their devices are not just recording after a keyword is triggered, but they're recording all the time, and the information is getting uploaded, and people are listening to that, um, those recordings. I mean, there's also the, a lot of people think it's kind of conspiracy theorist, but the, I, I know many people have had this happen to them, and I've had it happen to me, where you're talking with friends about something, no, there's no digital record of it, you're not typing it, nothing like that. Yeah. And then the next day you get ads for that specific thing you were talking about. And the only way that that happens is that the always on listening on your phones is listening and using that information to build up. I, models. You know, I don't, I, that one I've heard too. It's like, I was just talking, and I used to like joke around with my wife. I'd be in the kitchen. I'd be like, Hey, let's take a trip to Barbados or something to <laughs> see if, you, if anything would happen. Right. And, uh, I, I tend to think like if I were going to debunk that, it would be, Hey, I'm talking to this group of friends and maybe one of them searched for it. Maybe I didn't, or maybe my wife searched for it or, um, yeah, maybe somewhere around me in some proximity. Uh, but who knows? I mean, yeah, there's enough AI to, to just gather keyword information. 
Uh, and that's not that's not one that I know of that's been like proven. Like no one's like specifically yeah. seen that Google is recording it and then using it to build ad models. But that's one that I've heard probably a hundred different examples of people having. Well, can, and can I be honest with you? For the most mm-hmm. part, like obviously, if it's if it's something where the government's you know able to get that information or they're using these private conversations for, I don't know, some kind of leverage on you or <laughs> what they're going to do with it, but. If it's purely for I want to procure the right products for this person, I, I understand what they like, and I'm trying to sell them something. I I tend to not really care about that that much. I kind of say, okay, it does make my life a little easier if you know I need a like right now. I've been looking for dishwashers on Facebook, and if you tell me uh, Home Depot's got a sale on dishwashers this weekend because I typed that in, that's kind of convenient for me. I mean, to be honest, with you, I mean, I'm you know. But, but it's that's the balance of like what am I really concerned about, and is that convenience worth the trade off of the unknown that we have? Yeah, I, I think there's a few things kind of unpacked there because um, I definitely I agree that when it works and is convenient, it's very nice. I mean, I something a lot of people don't know is I was a huge Google fanboy before I started becoming more serious about privacy. I was testing products before they were launched. I was testing every version of Android long before it was released. There was a lot of stuff that I was doing because I valued the convenience that their products brought. And Mm -hmm. they also had a very good track record of security around that data. Obviously they don't have a good track record around the the ways that they collect data, but they're very good at security. So at least you generally know if something is being given to Google, they're not gonna get hacked, they're not gonna lose it. Um, Right. So I was a big fan because of the things that they provided and the community. They're not gonna let it, you know why why they're good at protecting it? Because it's a commodity, it's property. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's sure. worth something. <laughs> it both benefits their reputation and benefits them if they have exclusive control over data about who people are and what they do. Um, but I think on the flip side of that, you also have to consider more of the the long-term pieces that go into this. So if companies that have large access to parts of our life are able to build these models around who we are and what we like and what we don't like, they're also able to slowly shift who we are and what we like and what we don't like towards the things that benefit them over time. Right. Uh, they're able to leverage this data to try and craft us into better consumers that fit the things that, that they want. And that's very much, that is very much a thing that we have seen time and time again. I mean, we've seen that less with the, not, not less, but we have seen it more clearly with things like Facebook, where they have a long track record of essentially leveraging the tools that they have on how they control how content is displayed to users to get the things that they want out of users, to get better engagement time, to get psychological responses and emotional responses, um, to get these things that benefit them because they know so much about you. They're able to custom craft their approach and how they bring things to you so that you end up giving more money, you end up giving more data, you end up giving more time. And it becomes this destructive Mm -hmm. feedback loop where the more you're fitting into the things that they want, the more they're able to control and craft you and really i mean a lot of what privacy boils down to is not like i said it's not this i want to go be anonymous and live in a in a shack in the woods it's i want to have control over my data but ultimately that's because i want to have freedom i want to have the ability to be autonomous to be my own person to be self-deterministic and deciding who i am what i like what i don't like who i talk to what i buy what i don't buy etc and when we give up that privacy and we have all of these corporations and governments um, with such a clear picture of who we are, 
and clear ways to put their own feedback into that loop, um, we are constantly giving up more and more of our autonomy and giving up more and more of what makes us human. So a lot of it comes down to far past this technological or convenience idea, and a lot of it comes into who are you as a human, and do you lose that if you start to give up control over all of your private information, data, thoughts, speech, etc., to these corporations who then can use it to manipulate you or just use it to sell to the highest bidder. That's kind of a best case scenario is they're just selling the data yeah. to the highest bidder. But Seth, I just want to, I just want to discount on my dishwasher. I don't, I don't care if I'm <laughs> talking about humanity. I just want to dishwasher. That's when you just search <laughs> dishwashers on sale. You don't rely on Alexa. Well, you know, you, the first thing like I think about, like, I, you know, I got an iPhone 13 or whatever, the face mm -hmm. ID. I've hated the face ID since I got it. I mean, so is a simple thing like get a, case that covers optionally allows you to use the front facing camera and just do away with the face id is that a smart thing to do is that i mean for like worthwhile? for something like that there so there are some things that people need to understand that there are provable technological tools that are used to do those things locally on device so like apple does face id purely locally on device um so like personally unless your threat model is very advanced I'm not worried about that per se. Um, okay. Because that is computed entirely on device. The models of your face are stored entirely on device and secure chips. Um, so there's like that kind of stuff. I didn't know that. Fingerprint okay. readers on Android is a common one that people don't understand. Is is something that is purely done on device. It's never uploaded. That the information about your fingerprint itself never leaves the device, etc. Um, so there's a lot of that that. Like, unless your threat model is very advanced and you're worried about like Google sending you a phone that is backdoored. Um, those things are generally fine, but obviously if you are worried about something like that, it's something you can easily disable and just use a pin. And there are key security reasons to not use something like a biometric unlock. Um, especially if you're worried about like, if you were drunk or you were knocked out or something like that with face ID or with your fingerprint, there are ways that they could get your phone unlocked without your consent. Whereas with a pin code or something like that, you're going to have to be coerced or do it willingly. Um, there are definitely a lot of things that go into that, but the yeah. the worries about it, like sending that data to Apple and that kind of thing, are, are normally oh, interesting. Okay, proven and normally not really something that's too much of a concern for me. So where where do you think um, people leak the most data? Like, where's is it? Is it your browser? Is it your phone? Is it your both. what? Both everything? It's so I think the two main areas are are really on desktop. It's your browser. Um, because the majority of what you're doing on desktop is through a browser. I mean, a lot of people do use apps as well, but many things today are just web apps anyways. Um, so improving the privacy of your browser by using something like Brave Browser or, or Firefox with some additional hardening goes a long way because another one of the big tools that, that corporations like Facebook use, or Meta, I guess, um, use through Facebook is cross-site tracking where they're, they're essentially partnering with websites all across the internet, massive, massive percentages of the internet to include trackers so that even if you don't have a Facebook account, and especially if you do, they're able to track you and build a profile across the websites you visit, even though you aren't consenting to anything with Facebook. Um, and it's a very common thing, and it's not just Facebook. Google is a big part of that. There are many others that do massive amounts of, of tracking you and building profiles on you without your consent, without an account, et cetera, across the web. Um, so improving your, your browser privacy is a, a big, big part of that. Um, and those same browser kind of privacy things apply on mobile as well. Um, do a lot of, do a lot of these tools like interact well together? Cause like you said, the thing with you know, Google is very 
the good it's a good browser in the sense that it everything is compatible with it. You never have issues. You know, I'm running this StreamYard right now. If it mm-hmm. if you're not using Google or usually what else? What else is a big one? Maybe Safari, Safari or yeah. yeah, they they'll say yeah, it may not work right, and so. So the nice thing with like specifically <clears throat> Brave Browser is it actually uses the the same engine, same web engine as Chrome does. Um, so okay. anything that's compatible with Chrome is generally going to work perfectly fine with Brave. Um, I've also noticed that in the last five or six years, the state of websites being broken through like uh, ad blockers or tracker blockers like uBlock Origin has gotten really, really good. I, I very, very rarely have any kind of website or service that's broken because of the um, privacy tools that I'm using within Brave Browser or something like that. Firefox also generally works really well, but it is a different web engine. It's their own. Um, and so there are mm-hmm. some things, just due to Chrome having such a monopoly on the, the browser market, there are some tools, especially like audio-video tools that work better in Chrome or Brave Browser than Firefox. Um, but like Brave specifically, the compatibility is excellent. I have no problems. I use it for work and personal. And, um, I can't really think of any compatibility issues that are Yeah, so essentially, like you, um, let's equate this to, uh, let's equate this to Litecoin here, right? (laughs) So you want to have kind of your privacy area of your life. You say my personal, my personal information, things I do with my family, my pictures, my contacts and my communication on that end. I want to kind of compartmentalize that into a, and, and, and build a wall around it in a way. And then when I need to go out and act and I need to go do a video or I need to access some of these websites, I'm going to step out into the real world. And then I'm kind of in this semi shielded area. So, so it doesn't, it's almost like an airlock. I'm going in from the spaceship into the airlock so that I, so nothing leaks back into my, you know, nothing, nothing crosses streams, nothing goes out, nothing comes in. Um, Is that a really crummy way to describe it or does that make any sense at all <laughs> no it definitely makes sense i think that's a lot of the way people approach it um and i i think i would urge that you push more for defaulting to privacy so like when we're talking about browsers not using something like chrome for the stuff you don't care about and then brave browser for the stuff you care about but rather trying to shift so that the majority of what you do or all of what you do is doing it using these privacy preserving tools or services. And, and like, thankfully there are ones that you can do everything in like Brave Browser, I think is a great example. Um, Firefox can work as well. Uh, like messaging signal is an excellent, excellent messaging app. Um, I've been able to get all my friends and family on there. I use it for private and public stuff and just having that default privacy not only protects me, but also gives me peace of mind. I'm not worrying about, what is Apple doing with this data? What is Google doing with this data? What is my my ISP doing with this data since they're storing all of these text messages and phone calls for seven years or more? Um, so it, there's a lot of peace of mind that comes from that. I think the main place where I would kind of consider that compartmentalization of like, this is my private life, this is my public life, is more like uh, work life from personal life. Like okay. when you have to have a work device or have to have specific work services that you don't have control over how they're collecting data or handling it. That's generally when I think like compartmentalization is the best approach. And okay. like, that's how I approach work is work devices are work devices, personal devices are personal. 
so work devices I don't trust with my personal data. Um, even though I love where I work, I still just don't trust them because they are collecting all that data for good reason. I've worked in cybersecurity. I understand why they do that. Um, but they're collecting that data and they're required to. They also have control over that data and a lot of other things. And I do the same with phones. So I have a personal phone and I have a work phone. And those do, those do not mix. Personal services don't go on my work phone, vice versa. Um, so I think that's the main place I see compartmentalization. But when it's your personal life, I would definitely urge just trying to use, especially those simple tools that don't really introduce headaches. They don't really introduce um, pain points into your life. And there's not really much of a convenience trade-off to use them. Things like Brave Browser, like Signal, things like switching to ProtonMail over Gmail, um, things like using Simple Login and Bitwarden that both actually improve your life. They don't make it more difficult. They make it easier. Once you get used to using them, they make it much, much easier. Um, and you gain these other benefits. So I think there's a lot of areas where you can just start to use something for everything and get those privacy benefits. Whether you're doing something that you want to keep private or not, ultimately it gives you control over that data again. And it gives you a say in that again. And, and that's really the key part of privacy for most people is just taking back control so that you get to say who this stuff gets shared with rather than it being out of your hands and something that you, you, you no longer have control over. Okay. Yeah, man. It's not an uplifting topic to talk about. <laughs> it definitely can. It can be daunting. And I will say like the, the big change, it, it sounds scary and daunting at first. And a lot of times when we talk about privacy, it kind of sounds like this conspiracy theorist, like everyone's out to get you. I oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I like, a, I like conspiracies and I think that <laughs> I, I, and I don't even think they're conspiracies. I think a lot of times we almost, we cloak them in the word conspiracy because we're like, all right, I don't know who I'm talking to. Right. <laughs> but if you just go with the assumption, well, okay, the government's collecting all the information they can possibly collect on you. That's their, that's their job. Like that should be the default understanding is they're not attempting to tell you the truth. <laughs> they're not, you know, yeah. they're not necessarily looking out for your best interests. They're, they're protecting their state that the state that they're in. Right. Job number one is keep perpetuate the state. <laughs> so if you're somebody who's going to challenge that, then be prepared, be prepared for something. So, um, I don't think that's a conspiracy. And I think it's funny that that word sometimes gets used and you're like, why would I assume that's a conspiracy if it gets proven over and over and over again? Yeah. So I don't know. Sorry. I, you know, no. I think I, I cut you off there. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, definitely, uh, I agree. I'm more using the term to make people not get scared rather than <laughs> are, are not conspiracies. Or well, okay. Let's, we need to coin a new phrase instead of conspiracy theory. Cause what that says is like, I'm, I assume there's, you know, a theory means it's unproven. Mm -hmm. So what would be the opposite of conspiracy and theory? Something fact, a truthful, fact. <laughs> this may be a truthful fact, <laughs> but the government's tracking everything you're doing. Well, I, I do think the scary part of the data stuff is the alignment, the clear alignment between the big tech companies and the governments. And, and there's a, a, kind of a precursor to that it feels like Europe is like way ahead of the curve in that regard in Australia and obviously like China where well, China doesn't even, I don't even China's like a whole nother level. Probably they, 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 they don't even well let you the future that we are pushing towards what well, they don't, yeah. they don't understand the idea of selling the data. They're like, we just don't want you to use these tools where Europe's like, go ahead and use them, but we're just going to track everything you're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I think the difference is that 
countries in Europe and the U.S. have to pretend that there's this veneer of democracy and veneer of freedom over things, when generally that the truth is far removed from that. But countries like that like to pretend that they're a democratic and, and free country, even if, when they're <laughs> not, whereas China and other countries like Russia, North Korea, they know we don't really care what our citizens think because we don't know what they think. So. Well, but you know, but they may, they may, they may believe it. You don't know. Like they may be under the same illusions we are, but we're told that they don't. See, you yeah. were procured that information on your Facebook feed. <laughs> no, I, I did. I watched the, um, I think it was called, oh man, the social dilemma. I think it was on Netflix. I'm sure you watched it. It's probably again. I still need to actually. I haven't watched it. Uh, yet, well, it was it was it was very much. It wasn't about like here's what they're doing with your data and they're mm -hmm. selling it and here's how they're monetizing it. It was much more about the uh, getting you to uh, be on the device, be on their apps as much as possible. And how do I keep them scrolling? And how do I keep them engaged? Because the reality is, what they're selling is they're selling advertising, and so yeah. they want to be able to prove, hey, I've got the most effective. Uh, attention consumption machine i've built mm -hmm. this amazing thing and, and what they on the thing they said the notification thing is big right bell dings ding oh i gotta go take a look at it everybody everybody does that right and uh i after that i turned it off for facebook now i haven't turned it off for twitter yet i probably should but it's great Just yeah and i don't ever go to facebook anymore it's mm -hmm. cr like crazy i would be on at least once a day check it because there's always some reason for them to give you a notification and i'll go like weeks and i don't even look at it and i'm like i should probably check if anything you know a friend or something huh you should delete it delete it's it mm -hmm. the here's the only benefit i like out of facebook um is being parts of groups that can communicate together like hey you know an event's going on uh, that they don't use email anymore for that stuff so that's mm -hmm. one thing i like about it i'm wondering if i could i mean i could probably so let, let's say I, let's say i create a facebook profile with one of these new anonymous emails mm -hmm. and i join the groups i still put my name on there so that they know when i join a group who i am um is that you know good enough it, I mean, it all comes back to threat model. I mean, for many people, using Facebook is not the end of the world. Um, just like if you're going to use Facebook and you need it for some specific reason, like you have these groups that you can't get somewhere else and you can't get them to migrate onto something like Signal or, or some other kind of. I mean, you, you want me to you want me to delete it for my mental health, well, not <laughs> not for not for the privacy. Ultimately issue. <laughs> both, but yes, mental health with social media, mental health is a huge huge part of it. I mean, it's. I think we're going to look back in 10, 20 years and look at how the course of society has been completely altered by the experiments that we've done through social media. I think it's it's having extremely detrimental effects, and I think we're going to really be, we are being hurt as a society through it, and we're, we're really going to kind of see that and look back on that and really shame on what we did and on what Silicon Valley and governments and what many of us were complicit in. But I think the... The bigger thing is like if you need to use the tool, like use the tool. You you can control how you use it. I mean, like you said, disabling notifications is a huge step forward, in that that starts to give you back some more control about the time that you sink into it. Um, but I would also say like if you need to use it, don't install the app. Apps or the mobile apps are the main way that they're able to collect data outside of the things that you want to give them. Mm -hmm. um, so like if you need to use Facebook but you're using it sparingly, just use the web app. Log into Facebook on your browser. 
uh, log on Facebook on your browser on your phone um, when you need to use it rather than installing the app that you're not going to use most of the time, but it's going to be collecting data all the time. Um, so that's, a, I think, a big step forward you can take. And like you said, using an email alias, you can just disable it so they have no way to pull you back in. Um, you can use, like you said, a password manager, or use multi-factor auth so that it's harder for your account to get hacked, that kind of thing. There, there are good steps you can take when you need to have it, but I think for most people, there's not really a reason to have something like a Facebook account. Um, Twitter is still kind of the holdout for me that I, I think it has enough value. I see you on there. I see you on there. <laughs> It's hard. It's a hard one to quit. If there's a good alternative in the future, I'll definitely, I will gladly migrate. Um, but I think Twitter is one of the few that's, when as long as you can control your usage, because they want to pull you in, they want to keep you there. But as long as you can control your usage, I think Twitter can be the most powerful social media platform out there, in my opinion, um, and the most enabling and the most useful. So I do definitely see that Twitter has value, but same thing for me. I, I generally don't use the app. I generally, or I use a simple uh, alias login. I use, I don't give them my phone number. I use two-factor. I use a password manager, all these So things. your name's not even really Seth, is it? No one will know. It's private. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the comments. Somebody says, instead of conspiracy theorists, they, they use, I use conspiracy analyst. I like that. That's good. I'm <laughs> conspiracy. <laughs> analyze conspiracy yeah because the conspiracies are true they're you know people do conspire right that's there are the ridiculous ones that are like a little bit too far out there that's what you think now yeah then you're gonna I mean, be in a 10 by 10 shack in the desert like Ted <laughs> kaczynski with a with your chronicles bombing places you already got as, the beard as someone who's very much not a conspiracy <laughs> theorist the last two years have made me rethink a lot of how i viewed people who say things like that because so many of the things that people were initially saying are getting labeled as conspiracies conspiracy theorists all came true so i don't know anymore but. yeah this guy john says lizard people yeah that's the, you know they're they're look there's a natural path you can take to almost everything if you really want to logic yourself into it but going back to the social media stuff yeah twitter's one i probably i probably should turn off the notifications because that it does pull you in unnecessarily a lot you know one or two the one or two red number and i'm like oh i've got to see what's happening you know and when in reality, like, it just you can yeah, disable ahead. like notifications and the ones that aren't something where you even want to respond to them. Like just doing simple things like that is helpful. Where yeah. like you only get notified on mentions and messages, DMs um, or something. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, depending on how big your account is, even that might be too much. It depends. But um, there are definitely ways to tune it. But I, I just disable it. I get no Twitter notifications, and I just cycle through when I want to cycle through and I don't when I don't and no yeah. one dies because I don't respond three seconds later like <laughs> I know that might be the next step for me because I'm def I'm definitely on there too much. but I enjoy it like that's the thing it is fun oh I do too it, and it's it, it's immensely valuable but I also see that when I when I have notifications on I end up putting a lot of time into it where I don't actually get much value out of it yeah um, and I end up scrolling and really not gaining much signal out of it out of it even though I have a very carefully crafted uh, list of people that I follow. Do you do a lot of muting? Um, not generally. I try to avoid muting and blocking generally. But if there are accounts that are like obviously disingenuous, obviously trolling stuff like that, then like I muted recently, uh, Bitcoin Magazine. Nothing against Bitcoin. Well, no, really? something against Bitcoin Magazine. It was like rage every time I'd read a headline. <laughs> I get so frustrated with it. I don't know why that particular account. I would just find myself like, oh. It just the way they worded things, whatever, for whatever reason, because it's, they you know, it's Bitcoin only. So they would 
always uh, a country would do something with all cryptocurrencies and they would say Bitcoin. And it's like, just be honest, just tell us. But so I, but I do find that maybe muting people just for my own, uh, yeah, my own, my own happiness when I'm using the app or blocking. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I've, if I've blocked anybody, it might have been just an obvious bot or something, but yeah, that's like only people who are actively malicious. But I, I think the hard thing with tools like that is it's really easy to build yourself an echo chamber, um, and it's really hard to break out of an echo chamber once you have one. And our natural yep. inclination is always to build echo chambers. That is very much built into us. Um, so that's definitely something that I try to keep breaking out of, and I try to keep following accounts that or outside of the things that I would normally follow so that I can kind of keep, at least keep a crack, the, the door cracked out of the echo chamber. Well, yeah, it would be, it would be nice. Possible. Here's what I'd like the algorithm to do. I'd like the algorithm to go, okay, you're interested in cryptocurrency, so you might be interested in uh, economics. And so here's some just broad economic discussions, not specifically crypto. Like sometimes it feels like it's crypto only. Yeah, you know, they don't give me. See, they got they got to work on that. I've seen some of that. Like they recently started recommending me open source as a topic. Um, or like throw throw out some really random helpful. stuff. Throw out like I don't know, astronomy or something. Like oh maybe I'd like that. Just one out of fifty posts. Put something random in there and see if it sticks. Cooking. Spin the wheel. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. feeling lucky of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I I do. I'd be interested when if if and when Elon takes over. It does, although it doesn't seem to be very clear what's happening right now, but yeah, I know. Uh, I, 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 he is such a mystery to me. Like, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you could think a whole lot of different things about, or a conspiracy analyst about Elon Musk. You know, um, I for a long time was frustrated with him because he was this. I was, uh, you know, if you're coming from to crypto from the privacy standpoint, obviously, if you got here also from the, you know, state money and stopping them printing dollars right he's been like the biggest recipient of government money <laughs> of maybe everybody anybody in the history of the world right and so to for him to be you know kind of anti-government or it's like dude you pretty much are the government right like how many how many dollars did uh twelve thousand five hundred bucks for every electric car he sold <laughs> came from the government yeah for the and it, that was for like the first 200,000 of every automaker or something like that because I even got that I had a I bought a Chevy Volt back in 2016 or something and yeah I got I think at the time it was maybe $9,500 off the price of the car so that doesn't go I mean does it go to me not really I mean yes yes and no right I guess I benefit but also Tesla's the one that gets the check so they get to sell the car. So, all right, enough about Elon Musk. But is there anything else you want to talk about? I mean, is anything like that you feel like is important to hit on for some security basics or privacy basics that are some impassioned speech you want to leave the world? Um, I don't I don't know if there's anything crazy. I mean, I think that the the blog post that I linked you to goes through kind of how I would approach it from the privacy new to privacy perspective um i think that probably says it in a way that's better than my tired brain right now would um but just generally encouraging people to not get scared by the the dauntingness of thinking about personal privacy i, I think like you mentioned earlier it, it can be very kind of like dark and daunting to think about this stuff but 
there's also a lot of positives that come around come along with um, improving your personal privacy and uh, those have been some of the most interesting discussions that I've had with people are the non-technical parts of privacy and talking more about the the philosophy and the the ideals the societal impacts those kinds of things that come with people taking their privacy more seriously and um, just some of those things being like a, a peace of mind that comes with knowing that that you are in control of that data that you are getting to share what you want and not share what you want um, and it's not that you want to remain anonymous necessarily or that you are doing these things that you want to hide but it's it's a it's an autonomy and a control that you wouldn't have otherwise um but well, i think the, also, the threat modeling yeah. it's, it's interesting the threat modeling um you know you mentioning well hey maybe just delete delete this app and I, in that again that tech mm -hmm. lore one you did where he talked about being a digital minimalist because mm -hmm. yeah, i'm not 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 making this up like two days before that i was thinking to myself why don't I just have a phone that's, what if I just deleted everything else except for the phone and it was just a phone? <laughs> and I started thinking, would that be really freeing? It probably would. I mean, there would be certain things you would miss. And I think he even mentioned that, like, delete it all. And if you miss it, okay, reinstall it. But you're probably going to leave 90% of them gone, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but I, I wonder, you know, in the kind of threat model slash, or whatever you want to call it, you probably do a little bit of reflection of, on yourself. And in that process, by cleaning some of the stuff up, you probably do clear your mind a bit and and mm -hmm. take your eyes off the screen and go, oh, what am I doing here? Like, you know, yesterday you were saying family time, you know, go go hang out with your kids. Don't stare at your phone. <laughs> you know? But uh, yeah. all right. I don't know. That's yeah. interesting. No, it has. I mean, and even like you mentioned with the social dilemma and the, the look that they took at how social media affects you and they're a much broader um impacts on you than you realize when these tools that are being built to either surveil or to manipulate or to pull you in when you're a part of that and you just feed into what is the default i mean most of us are not choosing these things most of this is, is just what you're expected to do in society you're expected to have a facebook account you're expected to um, have a twitter account and instagram and all of these things and when you choose not to do that you look like the weird person but you ultimately i think gain a lot more control over who you are and you, you gain a lot of um just emotional and mental freedom from that that people just don't realize they're missing well the um, time i imagine yeah. you so much yeah. more time and you save money right you probably buy less you would because you're just not you're tantalized with bullshit 24 <laughs> hours a day you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, getting anyway. the kind of the view of everyone else's life where they're only sharing with things that are perfect and smooth and yeah there's just there's so many impacts that I think people don't understand the benefit that they'd get from even not even caring about the privacy angle, but just looking at it from that digital minimalist angle and saying like, what can I step away from and see if I miss it? Like you mentioned, when you disabled Facebook notifications, you just stopped going on Facebook and you got all that time back and you didn't lose anything. You thought yeah. you did maybe, but you didn't lose anything. Well, And then you go back and you're like, why did I care? This is so stupid. Yeah. You know, you actually pushed me off Facebook. Uh, really the, the last nail in the coffin is all these local groups. Like if you have a city, it's, you know, my little suburb has a, a group <laughs> that people go on there and they just complain. And so during COVID all people were complaining <laughs> about their FedEx packages, not showing up on time. <laughs> they were like every day FedEx, where the heck, well, man, it says, it's in, it says it's at the local station. Why can't they just deliver it? And I'm thinking you are so spoiled. <laughs> it's just, that stuff is what makes me crazy. So if I could mute who, people. Who knew like, they were helping you opt out? <laughs> I know, right? They helped me opt out. So yeah, okay. So your podcast is called Opt Out, right? 
the that was not an intentional show. No, no, that's all right. Well, I mean, I, I do. I want to make sure people go check you out because there's a, there's so many topics. I was like, I just started listening, and you know, you probably feel like, well, how how far can this thing go? But I mean, you've got like 30, 40 episodes and a wide variety of topics, and uh, yeah, I, I like you get a good broad range of people on there, and so uh, yeah, definitely check that out. And apparently, you do have a youtube channel but you told me you don't really put videos but you might start doing some so yeah yeah the plan check is out long term to start doing some but right now it's mostly for like people who need automatic translation or closed captioning or something like that is is the main reason for it but mostly in an audio only podcast at this point all right well if you do a video or if you if you want to have i mean i'm not going to give you any um if i come on your podcast i'm not going to educate your audience at all on privacy i might educate them on cryptocurrencies which would be kind of cool but um yeah maybe like in a couple months if you if you do videos maybe i'll yeah you can do a check-in with me and see how much have i deleted so here's where i'm at right now so that the app number <laughs> here's you ready you ready here, wait scared. let's see so here we go i got lots of apps oh <laughs> <laughs> lots of garbage and a lot of them are just dumb ones i don't even use but not not a digital minimalist i see <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i'm not you know i'm not a maximalist in the i don't i don't like go crazy with technology um it, it just yes yeah, the convenience thing huh it, it just grows quickly it gets out of hand quickly it's just yeah kind of the, i don't know enough about it things. like there's the you know the people that have the lights programmed and the speakers <laughs> in every room and their thermostats hooked up and you're like I just feel like that would take so much work. I'm too lazy. I'm too lazy to be that good. But maybe I'll start deleting. So I'll I'll start doing that. But um, oh, you, do you want to do you want to try and answer some? Uh, these might be more complicated questions. Do you want some challenges? I'm game. I like challenges. All right. Oh my gosh! Here we go. <laughs> First one. I'll start at the bottom. These are from. He's in the audience. I think. Yeah, Latin Slovak. So we were in the audience the other day, they were talking about uh, facial recognition resistant glasses. <laughs> Is this the last mile? Is this the end? Is this? <laughs> so, so this is definitely not an area of expertise. I will okay. <laughs> it's not something I've dug into too much. Um, and thankfully in most of like the US, it's not really too much of a concern yet, but I mean, we've seen things like, I don't know if you know the, the name Clearview AI. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, no. But they're, they're kind of famous for building software that essentially harvests images from social media, from Google, from basically anywhere they can get it online. Um, and then they use that data, you, they use those images to build up facial recognition software that they then sell to law enforcement, to governments, um, sometimes to private corporations. And so there is definitely this kind of coming wave of facial recognition being a tool that's used at best to just be a tool to give us convenience. Um, but it, I think is, is quickly going to shift in the ways that like China wants to use it, Australia wants to use it, uh, more authoritarian countries are, are using this to be able to more easily surveil and control citizens and especially to kind of police their movements. And we saw a lot of this in South Korea and China during COVID, where they would use facial recognition software to detect people who are breaking the quarant the quarantines that they set, um, track where they went, and then be able to use that to contact trace, but ultimately to kick them back into their homes and kick them back into quarantine. 
um, no matter what you think about COVID or quarantine or whatever, the facial recognition piece still stands as a, a scary kind of future piece of dystopia um, that could be coming. But as, as for how effective like the facial recognition proof glasses and that kind of thing are, I'm not really sure. I mean, one of the nice things that came out of COVID is you can wear a mask now as much as you want. And you can usually get away with wearing a hoodie, glasses, and a mask, and no one's going to really bat an eye because of how that kind of became normalized. So those kinds of things are effective against preventing facial recognition, but um, I don't really have any specific tips for how the glasses work or how those tools work at this point. But so sunglasses, sunglasses don't work. Uh, I mean, they could help in combination with other things, but they're normally not going to work. I mean, like you have an iPhone, Face ID works through sunglasses. Uh, I know. And it's scanning your eyes, which should tell you how it's not super effective, but that's also very close to distance and that's using infrared. So um, that's different than like camera based facial recognition, where if the majority of your face is hidden behind a mask and glasses, it's going to be very hard to detect you. Interesting. All right. Um, let me see what I want. Keyboard privacy. Do you think there's any like, are they tracking keystrokes? I mean, generally, no. I, I, most of the stuff is really coming down to you would need to have a very sophisticated threat model where you have very targeted attacks against you specifically to be worrying about stuff like this. I mean, there there's been a lot of research around ways to detect what's being typed just from listening to a keyboard. Um, it's definitely something that can be done. So even if you can't get a keylogger like on the device you're typing on, or a keylogger into your keyboard, if they are able to get some kind of recording close by, whether that's through your computer or whatever, they can detect and guess pretty accurately what you're typing just by the sound of your keystrokes and the pattern and um, that kind of thing. So again, it's something that can be done, but th that's not done at scale. It's not being done by like Apple or Google right now. It's like targeted targeted like individuals yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah, so if you're, like, if you're a political <clears throat> dissident in an authoritarian country, yeah, you should probably be worried about that. Okay, let me ask you this. This is just me, right? Mm -hmm. This thing, right? I can put this little shield over my camera. Do you, mm -hmm. Should I do that all the time? Like, does it really? So it's yeah. if somebody hacks into my computer, <laughs> right? Then they can access the camera mm -hmm. and take a picture of me, I guess. It's. I mean, <laughs> it can just be a better default. Normally, yeah, that's still going to be, you're worried about targeted surveillance. Where I mean, it could be not the nation state. It could be someone who wants to extort you because they know that you have it. I'm not saying you have a bunch of like sweet lava they lamp. They could say you like Litecoin. You have a nice lava <laughs> lamp. So they want to target you and record you to try to extort you or record you to try to get information about your private life or something like that. Like right, gotcha. that could be an angle. So doing something like if it's an external webcam, just unplugging it when you're not using it. Um, or if it's like in your laptop, just using one of the little sliding covers. It just gives you that, again, it's more peace of mind. It's more a better default state rather than leaving it wide open and potentially risking something. But again, most people, you're not going to need to worry about that. But that's not to say you shouldn't just take that step. Like if you never use your webcam, just tape over it. Like there's no there's no harm there. Um, and if you do use your webcam, you can get one of those sliding covers. Or if it's an external, like I said, just plug it back in when you need to use it, that kind of thing. So there are definitely options. But... Also not something like you shouldn't be running around paranoid that everyone's trying to hack your webcam. Yeah. Do you hear the, do you hear that thundering? Is it sound like thunder in my house? Very That's my bit. eight year old. <laughs> she's, she's nuts. She runs like an elephant anyway. All right. <laughs> oh no. You know, 
Yeah, they're almost done with school. They're pretty excited. So, all right. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I got other ones. I, you know, I don't want to take too much time. I think these are probably smart to keep them at about an hour because they get too long. People start to zone out. So, um, no, I, I would definitely like to do something on the show or if you can make it to a Twitter yeah. spaces, that'd be fun. I think, um, that, that would be interesting. You'd probably get a lot of interesting conversation going. Yeah, um, it's I'll definitely have to do that in the future. I think it's a really good, a really great medium to be able to have audio chats with people who aren't like the person in the podcast or something like that. There's a lot of interesting. Yeah, well, because it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. You're doing podcasts. I don't know. I don't know if you edit a lot, but sometimes you feel like I don't really know because I don't, I don't know you really well. So sometimes I'm, you know, you don't know if the personalities are always going to meld together. And yeah. so having kind of a broad group, it usually helps. Uh, if it keeps the conversation flowing, it's a lot more fun. And if it doesn't work out, if it's quiet, you just put some music on and just kind of hang out. Yeah. <laughs> I was up late last night doing these things. So, all right. Uh, well, thanks for coming. Like I said, go check out opt out opt out. Is it the opt out podcast or opt out podcast? Uh, just opt out or opt out podcast. Yeah. Opt out. Um, and follow Seth on Twitter and look forward to his videos and Twitter spaces. Apparently he's now committed to doing <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and turn off your notifications. You'll be healthier and happier for it. So, all right. Well, hey, thanks. And if, if tomorrow, hopefully you'll get to see us. We'll have the video tonight. We're going to do it at midnight. It's looking like it's going to be at like 1.15, 1.30 in the morning. The MWeb transactions will be going through. I'm sure Charlie will be sending them to David and, and all that. And uh, so I'd like to see your your uh, critique of it yeah, or it's just it's exciting know. i'm definitely I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing kind of how that takes off and what kind of support it gets and especially just interested to track what percentage of people will use it because optional privacy is always an interesting thing well, right, to yeah. me so I'm, I'm curious to see what kind of uptake you'll see um yeah cake wallet uh is committing to do it on the mobile so right now it's just on the desktop litecoin core wallet so i yep. think adoption early on will probably be you know slow because not everybody runs a core wallet yeah um and then uh yeah i'll send you create a wallet give me an mweb address i'll send you some some contraband litecoin all right <laughs> i'll have to give it a try thanks all right looking forward right, to seeing how the upgrade goes yeah yeah all right hey everybody thanks for listening uh and we'll see you at midnight a couple hours all right bye seth